Hello, and welcome to the Remnant Rising podcast. Every time I introduce this podcast, I have a different reason why this podcast exists. And uh, so I think that that reason today is to introduce you, if you haven't already been introduced, to the character of God. The way that we're going to do that uh, is we're going to go through section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Not every verse, but some of the ones that stuck out the most to me. I would encourage you to go read it. And then we'll go through the first half or so of the King Follett Discourse or King Follett Sermon as preached by Joseph Smith. And in that process, my hope is that we can discover a little bit more of the character of God. So 76 will kind of be breaking down some of the outline of God's plan for his children on the earth. And then we'll get into the King Follett discourse and some heavy hitting quotes and commentary by Joseph Smith regarding the character of God so that we can better comprehend and understand ourselves, as he said. So without further ado, let's jump right in to section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, I want to read first. Um, I'm going to start kind of in the middle. Um, verses 40, 41. And this is the gospel of glad tidings. The voice of the heavens bore record unto us that he came into the world, even Jesus, to be crucified for the world and to bear the sins of the world and to sanctify the world and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness. That through him all might be saved whom the Father had put into his power and made by him. So this is the character of God, at least the, you know, the first character of God that we're taught in Christendom, uh, and even in other religions, um, that basically God's purpose is to, to save or bring salvation to his children. Uh, I think it's important to start there, especially in proclaiming the name of the, the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, his purpose, uh, and, you know, it's interesting, and this will come up later, that the Lord's purpose was always, if, if you go back and you study his words and the things that he said, his purpose was always to glorify the Father. His purpose was always to, to bring us to the Father. Uh, and I think that that gets lost sometimes in when, when we look at the things that the Lord did Sometimes we can get into the, you know, into the line of thinking that we're, then we get overly focused maybe on his miracles. Sometimes we get uh, maybe overly focused on, you know, one particular sermon. But really, honestly, one of the most powerful things I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ said, and he said it over and over again, is that he did nothing save what he'd seen the Father do that his purpose and his work and his glory was to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That was ever his focus, ever on his mind, and it was his entire mission, and it consumed his entire life. So if we're to be like him, then our role should be to do those things which we've seen him do. We're not acquainted with the Father in seeing his life except for that we were told that in the scriptures if we've seen Christ we've seen the father the lord said that himself to his apostles when they were asking when they got to see the father they asked the lord when do we get to see father 
And he said, have I been with you so long that you know me not? For if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That does not mean that they are the same in personage, uh, but they are the same and, and identical in, in likeness as far as what their purpose is um, and their mission. And that really the entirety of their existence is in the process of helping us to, to grow and ascend. Alrighty, so continuing with DNC 76, let's go back to the beginning. I thought it was important to come in at 41 and 40 and 41 and talk about Jesus Christ. Now we're going to shift back to the very beginning. First verses 1 through 5, I'm going to let you read these. I was going to read them, but I think that uh, you can go read them. Uh, verses 1 through 5 reiterate again that the Lord is God and there's no Savior except for Him. Verses 5 through 10, I think, are, are very poignant, and I kind of wanted to spend some time real quick and focus there. For thus saith the Lord, I am merciful and gracious unto those who fear me, and delight to honor those who serve me in righteousness and in truth unto the end. Great shall be their reward, and eternal their glory. And to them I will reveal all mysteries, yea, all the hidden mysteries of my kingdom from days of old, and for ages to come, will I make known unto them the good pleasure of my will concerning all things pertaining to my kingdom. That's a pretty huge promise. Yea, even the wonders of eternity shall they know. And the things to come I will show unto them, and the things of many generations. And their wisdom shall be great, and their understanding reach to heaven. And before them, the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall come to naught. For by my spirit I will I enlighten them, and by my power will I make known unto them the secrets of my will. Yea, even those things which I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. You know, I, I have to go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke some holes in tradition and culture here for a second. As I sat over and over and over again in meetings in the church, I've heard these warnings from, I think, well-meaning people uh, who will stand in front of the congregation, particularly leaders at a local level and even at the general level, uh, all the way up into the highest ranking of the church, into the quorum of the Twelve, and I've heard them say things like, don't look beyond the mark, don't search in the mysteries, just follow the brethren, right? And this is the common thread over and over again. And we're going to read some very direct words from the prophet Joseph Smith in the King Follett Discourse here in a little bit, where he refutes that as a false teaching. And I absolutely agree. Verses 5 through 10 tell us very clearly to seek the Lord. And the Lord, in his unspeakable gift of the Holy Ghost, as it talks about in Doctrine and Covenants 121 and in other places in Scripture, even in the, including in the Bible, he will reveal to us what eternal life looks like. In fact, in Matthew, I think it's 17.3, it says, and this will go into this again in, in the King Follett Discourse, that this is life eternal, to know thee, the one true God. Okay. That's different than knowing about God. And this is the crux of the matter. The mysteries of God's will, his secret will, his secret, 
his secrets, the secrets of his kingdom, are revealed to us directly by the Lord, by God. They're not taught in in Scripture. And so, you know, some of the things that I had people um, bludgeon me with before I resigned my membership of the church was that I was seeking the mysteries. You're, you're spending time in the mysteries. Just stay with the basics. Well, let me just say this very clearly. 200 years of staying with the basics has actually dumbed down pure doctrine. And I will hereby prove that that is true as we continue this study. So understand fundamentally, Joseph Smith said that the, the purpose or the, I guess, the fruits of a genuine disciple and the purpose of a genuine disciple will be to take to turn the other man to the Lord. I don't want you to go, oh man, Tyson is such a great teacher, right? I All I want to do is turn you over to the master teacher. And that's what I'm pointing out in verses 5 through 10 right there, is that the master teacher is going to teach you the mysteries of the kingdom. I know things. He's taught me things. And I'm not saying this braggadociously. It's just a matter of fact. I know things that I can't even talk about for two reasons. One, because I'm under solemn obligation from the Lord not to discuss them. And two, because I can't even articulate them. Like, I'm not the world's greatest orator. I'm not the world's greatest communicator. I try, but I'm not. But I don't even have words to articulate what it is I've seen and been taught by the Lord. I just don't have the words. They're not there because that's that's the mysteries of God. They're, they're known only in your mind, your spirit, your soul, your full soul. And you can't even articulate these mysteries if you wanted to. But yet the pieces and the, and the portions that I can comprehend and, the, and our brains have to you know, grow and, and evolve and ascend in order to comprehend all things. Um, the pieces and portions that I do understand and can see and, and, and know are so powerful and bring so much clarity and understanding to what I've been taught my entire life. There's not confusion or chaos. There's more order in the mysteries. But the point is, is that we don't get to know or understand those mysteries until the Lord teaches them to us. And so really quickly back to me being, you know, raked over the coals by people for pursuing the mysteries. You know what those mysteries were? These things that I was teaching and understanding to other people that people are claiming are the mysteries. You're spending too much time in the mysteries. Everything that I've taught other people has had a scripture or a quote from a prophet or an apostle or or some fundamental foundation in doctrine. Okay. So some of the things that are floating around out there that people are in the digging in the mysteries, right? Are the 144,000, not a mystery talked about in scripture. Okay. Calling an election, not a mystery talked about in the scriptures, talked about by prophets, at least early in the restoration, uh, calling an election, second comforter, baptism of fire, all of these things, they're not mysteries. They're in the scriptures and they're there abundantly. They're there, the, the prophet, the, the President Nelson of recent in talks, you can go through some of his early talks and realize that he lays out a, a recipe for, for receiving your calling and election. 
And it has to do with first getting the gift of the Holy Ghost, then hearing the voice of the Lord, and then communing with angels after that um, to, to know that you're a calling and your election is sure. So I just wanted to clarify that point because I think it's important to understand the difference between deeper doctrines that are never talked about in the church, even at the general, you know, general conference level. Um, not never, I should say. That's a that's a broad brush because I just said that President Nelson talked about them. Um, he talked about them in a codified way, though. If you're actually digging into and studying what he's said, you will you will see that 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 truth is there. But I digress. So the bottom line is is that the Lord wants you to pursue the mysteries. He told you very clearly in verses 5 through 10 there that if you're in line with him, if you're hearing his voice, as President Nelson has encouraged us, if you're communing with him, he's going to show you the mysteries of the kingdom. And I will make the argument here in a little bit. I will maybe maybe show is a better way to say it. I will show you the gate by which we can enter in to know the mysteries. So I, I think it's interesting um, you know, as we look back at the pattern, so let's move on to section 76 verses 13 and 14, as well as verse 19. I think it's interesting that, that Joseph Smith had a third portion of the book of Mormon that was lost, which contained, we're told very great and precious things, um, simple truths, powerful things, um, that again, aren't mysteries even, <laughs> um, they're just the next level or layer. But what I find the most interesting is I read verses 13 and 14 here, and it's in line with what the prophet is teaching. Okay, so verses 13 and 14. Even those things, this is what the Lord's going to reveal, which were from the beginning, before the world was, which were ordained of the Father through his only begotten, who is in the bosom of the Father, even from the beginning, of whom we bear record, And the record which we bear is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son, whom we saw and with whom we conversed in the heavenly vision. So Joseph has this heavenly vision and in and Sidney Rigdon, and in the heavenly vision, right, they commune with the Lord and they are taught things that are the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that then they can't speak about. So the fullness of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I testify to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, is not going to come from a religious figurehead. That is why President Nelson and other inspired religious leaders throughout the world, Christian or otherwise, do everything they can to turn the other man to the Lord. I challenge you, uh, if you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or a member member of any religion, to go find the genuine disciples of God in your faith, in your congregation, the genuine teachers. And when you do, you will come to realize that the mark of those genuine teachers is not, hey, look at me, I'm the leader, follow me, because I know the way to God. The, The mark of a genuine oracle, a genuine disciple, is always, always, always to turn the other man or woman to God and let them know as they are known and be known as they are known. And then in verse 19, 
It says, and while we meditated on these things, right, understanding that, that the Lord held the keys to the mysteries, the Lord touched the eyes of our understandings and they were opened and the glory of the Lord shone round about us. That's it. It's really that simple. That pattern that is established to go to God yourself and receive these things yourself. Now, everyone gets formulaic and I just want to throw this out as sort of the sidebar commentary commercial you know, public public service announcement uh, and a warning. Don't get formulaic in the process of receiving divine revelation. I know a lot of people who are like, oh, well, you know, Joseph said that if if we want to commune with God, that we can do what, what he did and we'll get the same answer. And so they go out in the woods to pray and they expect the Lord to appear. And I'm not saying not to expect the Lord to appear. What I'm saying is don't get formulaic. Don't look at the experience of one person and say, I'm going to pattern how I receive this just like they did, because it's not going to happen in the exact way. And that is why we have such a diversity of operations and example in scripture, right? God didn't come to Moses the same way that he came to Joseph Smith. God didn't, while there are similar tenements and while Moses did speak face to face with God, in, at first, Moses spoke with God in the form of a, morning, a burning bush, right? But Joseph saw God the Father and the Son and heard them speak. So everyone is going to receive these things in their own way. And that doesn't make it wrong. I, I can tell you, here's one of the biggest failings of humanity. One of the biggest failings of humanity is we have God blesses us with these inspired beings, right? Confucius, the Buddha, right? Jesus Christ, who, you know, is the king of kings. And he blesses us with these people, these inspired people, right? And, you know, the Dalai Lama, um, Gandhi. And and what we do, right, is we we take what they did and then we turn it into a formula and it is my belief that truly inspired beings who are here to teach us solid principles of ascending you know to communion with god are are doing that not so that we can create a religion necessarily but so that we will get onto a spiritual path and I've talked about this in the past, there's a huge difference between spirituality and religion. If you're looking to connect with God by saying more prayers, reading more scriptures, you know, um, like being checking the boxes of obedience within your religious dogma, if you're looking to commune with God, you're, you're not going to find that genuine level of communion. Um, and I think that this point is exactly what brings us to the place or the crux of the discussion and, and can help us shift right into the King Follett Discourse. So the King Follett Discourse, it's interesting. Uh, this was a period of time, I believe it was three or four months before the prophet's martyrdom when he gave this sermon. And it definitely inflamed things. He was asked to speak at the funeral of King Follett, who had, this guy's name was King Follett. He died in an accident. He was crushed inside of a well by falling rock. And Joseph is asked to speak at his funeral. And 
he takes the opportunity because there's a lot of his enemies inside and outside of the church present at this meeting. He teaches, he takes the opportunity to teach pure doctrine undefiled. And I find it interesting. And he did so for the purposes of helping the people to understand the plan of salvation. Joseph said one of the most amazing things that we never, I never hear quoted anywhere, um, but I think is so important to understand. And that is exactly what I was just talking about a few minutes ago, that the Lord will teach you the fullness of the gospel himself. He will come to you and in through the process of personal revelation and, and communion with him, and God will open those mysteries. He will teach you the things that you need to know, and they, they can't be taught in any other way. They can be discussed, you know, principles and tenements of those, of those things can be discussed with other people, but you can't receive the fullness of the gospel in any other way than, than communion with God. And I, I really feel like historically, just to set the, you know, the groundwork here, that in 1844, uh, this is after, I believe this is after Joseph had rolled the kingdom off on the brethren. They had all the keys and necessary to push the kingdom forward from there. Okay, not the kingdom, the church. They had all the keys necessary to push the, the church forward from there. And honestly, the King Follett discourse in a lot of ways feels like a, I don't care anymore. As far as uh, trepidation and fear, leaving that meeting where he had rolled the, the church, you know, and honestly, a little bit the kingdom um, off on the brethren, um, he said that he was as liable to die as any man. And I really feel like, you know, the King Follett discourse and other examples of things that he said and did between, you know, rolling the kingdom off and and his martyrdom were kind of like a, um, I don't care anymore. Like, I'm going to say what I need to say. I'm not going to be fearful in any way of, of offending people. I'm not going to be fearful in any way of, of perjuring myself. Like I know what truth is and I'm going to teach it in an unsanitized way. And you either can take it as truth or you can take it as an opportunity to be angry. And ultimately I know I'm going to pay for my commitment to the Lord, to Father, and to truth with my life. And I really feel like that was was what he was up against, and he knew it. And so he's like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to keep swinging until, until I can't swing anymore. I'm going to keep hitting home runs. So, so without further ado, Joseph and the King Follett Discourse. So I feel like the very most important place to start is, is in the beginning. Joseph said, if we start right, it is easy to, to go right all the time. But if we start wrong, we may go wrong and it will be hard to get the matter right. And I, I think that that is the perfect setup to what he's going to teach next, which crushes, 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 crushes the religious ideology of most Christians. It for sure crushes, you know, the Jewish faith. Um, and I don't know of any other religion out there that, that has this as a fundamental tenement of their religion. And yet in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, this is probably not probably, this is one of the most prolific examples of sanitization and dumbing down of doctrine, because we don't teach this doctrine enough. 
And because we don't teach this doctrine enough, then people take a lesser portion constantly. So here's the doctrine. Here's what he says. There are very few beings in the world who understand rightly the character of God. The overwhelming majority of mankind do not comprehend anything, either that which is past or that which is to come, as it respects their relationship to God. They do not know. Neither do they understand the nature of that relationship. And consequently, they know but little about uh, above the brute beast or more than eat, drink, and sleep. This is all man knows about God and his existence, unless it is given by the inspiration of the Almighty God. There we go again, right? The true nature of God, the true character of God cannot be comprehended by any other means than genuine communion with God. Okay. There's the rest of, you know, the next kind of portion that I wanted to highlight. If men do not comprehend the character of God, they do not comprehend themselves. I'm going to say that again. If men do not comprehend the character of God, they do not comprehend themselves. I want to go back to the beginning and so lift your minds to more lofty spheres and a more exalted understanding than that what the human mind generally aspires to. That gets about as clear as anything I can read regarding how to understand the, the mysteries of godliness and to genuinely get on an expedited, expedited path towards godliness, to genuinely understand the character of God. If Jesus Christ was to come back or, you know, like he did in the early and he is coming back, but let's say he came back like he did in the early church with Peter, James, and John and the other 12, and you got to know him, his character, and you, you were with him and you genuinely saw him the way he genuinely actually is. I think for a lot of religious people, a lot of religious Christians, your your dogma, your your understanding of God's character would be completely decimated. Joseph said over and over that the moment he began to teach anything that countered the traditions of men, they flew apart like glass. If you want to read a book that will help you to reprogram your mind and your understanding of of Jesus Christ based on the New Testament, there's a really, really good book called The Beautiful Outlaw. And I recommend reading it. In fact, I'm, I'm going to challenge myself to do a reread of that book at some point. Uh, and I don't reread things often. But I think it's so important to see the character of Jesus Christ, to see his dynamic personality. And once you start to have that unfolded and you start to interact with God, right, with Christ, you'll start to see a side of, of God that your religionists and your leaders of, of whatever your faith is, your church, they're not teaching this. They're not teaching the dynamic relationship that Jesus Christ had with his disciples. They're not teaching him and his true character. They're, they're trying to set him up as distant to you. 
and and thereby as a man or a woman right a false teacher they're inserting themselves in between you and god and in my own religious context my own religious past before i converted to a spiritual process and a spiritual journey I heard over and over and over in the church, follow the brethren, follow the brethren, follow the brethren. We indoctrinate our children in follow the prophet, follow the prophet, right? He knows the way. And while God did make some promises regarding uh, how his truth wouldn't be taken from the earth, he never wanted us to to have blind followership be a portion of what we do. He doesn't like the hero worship that goes on in most churches and most religions. He wants us to worship and be in love with him, not someone who thinks it's their duty to to stand between you and God. And that is one thing that I love about the soul of President Russell M. Nelson the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because it appears that he is doing everything he can within his power and within the constraints of, of his office to turn, to genuinely turn the hearts of the children to their fathers, um, but also genuinely turn the hearts of their children to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. I think that there has been too often in any religion a a desire to put uh, these people on some kind of pedestal that they don't belong on in order to insert them, and I think it's Luciferian, honestly, to insert them between us and God. I feel like this is why the reformers uh, like Martin Luther and others were so irreplaceable to God's plan because their goal was to put the word of God and the connection to God into the hands of the people and let the people follow the dictates of their own conscience in order to commune with heaven the way that they needed to. But again, I digress. So let's look at a a challenge issued by Joseph in this King Follett discourse to the people. I want to ask this congregation, every man, woman or child, to answer the question in their own hearts, what kind of being God is. Ask yourselves, turn your thoughts into your hearts and say, if any of you have seen, heard, or communed with him. This is a question that may occupy your attention for a long time. I again repeat the question, what kind of being is God? Does any man or woman know? Have you seen him, heard him, or communed with him? Here is the question that will pre-adventure from this time forth to occupy your attention. The scriptures inform us that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And that's John 17.3. I think I said Matthew 17.3 earlier. So here is an inspired religious leader. I guess you could call him a religious leader, although he was an oracle for God more than just a religious leader. He was a spiritual leader. And he's asking you, asking every man, woman, and child in the on the earth, do you know God? Have you communed with God? Have you connected with God at a spirit-to-spirit level? 
to understand his character. And I will insert not just his character, but her character as well. Because in this faith of Mormonism, or I guess of, you know, the true doctrine of Jesus Christ, we understand that we have a heavenly mother as well as a heavenly father. And she doesn't get as much attention as she should. And I, I hereby venture to say that, that I will do a better job of mentioning the divine feminine because this is a portion of the fullness, in fact, a major portion of the fullness that needs to be restored. Joseph then went on to say that, that the fullness of salvation and exaltation cannot be attained unless we know the, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. We have to know God. Not know of him, not know about him, but to know him, to know his character. All right, here's another quote. My first object is to find out the character of the only wise and true God and what kind of being he is. And if I am so fortunate as to be the man to comprehend God and explain or convey the principles to your hearts so that the Spirit seals them upon you, then let every man and woman henceforth sit in silence and put their hands on their mouths and never lift their voices or say anything against the man of God or the servants of God again. But if I fail to do it, it becomes my duty to renounce all further pretensions to the revelations and aspirations or to be a prophet. And I should be like the rest of the world, a false teacher. That's a pretty bold statement. Be hailed as a friend, and no man would seek my life. So he's, he's thereby calling out in the congregation there, as well as in the congregation of the world, all people who sought his life and still seek his life, um, as far as causing him harm and defaming his character because he's teaching pr true principles. Um, and he doesn't care at this point. I really don't think he cares. He's standing in front of a group of people at a funeral, in some ways to prove a point, to show that the things he is taught fit perfectly and are framed perfectly into the context of even a funeral. Here we go again. But if all religious teachers were honest enough to renounce their pretensions to godliness, when their ignorance of the knowledge of God is made manifest, they will be as badly off as I am. At any rate, you might just as well take the lives of other false teachers as mine. And then he goes on to talk about how if we started taking out all the false teachers, because so many people said that he was a false teacher, if we started killing all the false teachers, I mean, he, his own death is eminent. He feels it. He's talking about it at a funeral. If we were to take out every false teacher on the earth, he said there would be no, no end to the shedding of blood. There's that much false teaching regarding the character of God that goes on in the world. Then he goes on to boldly declare this. I will prove that the world is wrong by showing what God is. I'm going to inquire after God, for I want you all to know him and to be familiar with him. And if I am bringing you to a knowledge of him, all persecutions against me ought to cease. You will know then that I am his servant, for I speak as one having authority. That even now is a bold declaration. And what is his purpose? Remember how I said that he always said that the mark of a genuine disciple is to bring the other man to Christ and to God. And let me read this again. He says, I will prove to the world, 
I will prove that the world is wrong by showing you what God is. I'm going to inquire after God, for I want you all to know him and be familiar with him. And if I am bringing you to a knowledge of him, all persecutions against me ought to cease. Let's not get it twisted. Let's not forget that the very people who killed Joseph, the very people who killed the Son of God himself, were religionists. They were people who had faceted themselves so strictly to a set of principles about what religion and righteousness and God looks like that they were willing to shed the blood of innocent men in order to maintain order in the kingdom that they had set up, which is precisely why when Christ was pressed in front of the Sanhedrin, he said to the Sanhedrin, I am of my God, of my father from above and you are of your father from beneath. He told them, the character of your God of Lucifer is to kill me. And why do you want to kill me? Because I'm a man who's told you the truth. So why do religionists get so upset when men like Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ teach people to go to God themselves? Why do religionists get so upset that they would shed the blood of innocent men or women? Why? Because guess what? Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ set the neighborhood in an uproar because they took the power and authority from the men standing in front of them telling people how to live and they put it directly and squarely upon the shoulders and in the hands of the people to commune with God themselves, right? Martin Luther has the Bible translated into German, pays for it with his life. Why? To put the word of God in the hands of the people and let them choose. That is the character of God. That is the plan. The entire plan has been set up, which is the plan of agency, not so that a man or a handful of men can control the narrative, but that inspired beings on the earth can teach true principles and then turn the other man to divinity and to God so that they can thereby, through the diversity of operations, commune with God in the way that they do in order to be taught divine truth and in order to know God, know him, not know of him, not be able to, you know, quote chapter and verse, not to sit around and create asinine laws about how many steps you can take on Sunday, right? To actually know and commune with God. This has been the, the common plot and challenge of mankind since the beginning. Think about Moses, right? At the very beginning of the Bible, near the very beginning, you have a man who communes with God, leaves a high station in high society and leads a group of people out of slavery and into the wilderness. He has them at the base of Mount Sinai and he's, there's a storm at the top and he's telling the people, ascend the mountain with me now. Let's go. I really genuinely believe he was trying to do what Enoch did. He's like, let's go up the mountain. Let's find out the character of God. All of you can commune with him. He's up there right now. You see the storm up there? And what did the people say? Well, no, we don't want to go up there. It looks kind of scary. And so they didn't go up there. 
except for 70, right? Moses and 70. And they went up the mountain and they communed with God and they came down. And guess what? Thereafter, the men that had ascended the mountain were then dedicated as prophets and they went about teaching. And then you have tattletales that run to Moses and they're like, Moses, these men are acting like prophets. And what does he say? I would to God that all men would be prophets. Joseph Smith taught us that a testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. If you know the character of God and you speak truth under the mantle of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, under God's divine mantle, you are a prophet or prophetess. And it is your duty to speak that truth. For you Mormons out there, you members of the Church of Jesus Christ, who Latter-day Saint, Latter-day Saints who are wondering if what I'm saying is off, section 68 of the Doctrine and Covenants talks about how the words of the elders, and I would say the sisters, when they're under the mantle of the Holy Ghost, are words of Scripture and are prophecy. Again, all I'm doing is expounding what's been taught and helping turn people to God. I'm trying to be a genuine disciple. If you don't believe what I'm saying is true, good. Then go ask God what truth is. If you find that something I've said is false, I'm excited about that because that means you're inquiring enough of the Lord to know that, oh, Tyson said this one thing and it was wrong, right? And if you take the initiative to go, this is this was wrong and, and, and you go to the Lord and you're taught a higher understanding, then perfect because that's my intention. My intention is to turn the other man or woman to God. And don't you don't have to come to me unless you feel inspired to to tell me that I was wrong on something. But you better not come to me with, well, you said this and it was kind of offensive to me because it hurt the traditions that I have built in my mind, right? Because I'm, I'm going to go, okay, well, thank you and I'll take that under advisement. But I don't placate to man. I don't placate or or stumble around in the dark trying to please people. I'm here to please God and my purpose is to do what I've seen my father do. And my father, through the process of adoption, is Jesus Christ. And I'm here to, to teach and, and prophesy and to teach the things that he would have me teach. I'm not here to please other people. I'm, not, I'm here to please the Lord. I'm here to please the Heavenly Father. I'm here to please Heavenly Mother. I'm here to teach the truth that I've been given and, and received only for the purpose of turning you to God so you can go develop that relationship with Him. That, in my mind, is the character of God. That's what He, that's what the Lord incarnate, God incarnate came to do, was turn people of the earth to Father so that they could get to know Him. And He He epitomized and was an example of what father is on the earth in body. Okay, so that was a little bit of a tangent, but I get all fired up. I actually had somebody tell me one time, you remind me of a Baptist minister when you get going like that. Well, good, because sometimes we're a little milk toast, and I love the heart of a genuine disciple of Christ who's fired up. It's amazing to me. Okay, more Joseph. Open your eyes and hear all ye ends of the earth. For I am going to prove to you in by the Bible and tell you by the designs of God in relation to the human race why he interferes in the affairs of man. God himself was once like we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. I can hear the collective groan of everyone entrenched in we're lesser than God, 
we're down here on this third mud ball from the sun. We're supposed to just be obedient and check the boxes and maybe he make a sacrifice here and there for the Lord and then we're going to be exalted like him. I can promise you and testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that obedience and sacrifice are only the beginning. They're only the laws that were taught in, in the law of Moses, honestly to get us to a place where we take the law of the gospel, which is the law, which is the, the law that governs truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we go out and we teach it in an undefiled way. This, the collective groan of the people that were listening to Joseph, that were his enemies, that were listening to him say this, the collective groan of Christendom about Joseph has been around this. And yet it is the character of God. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. The audacity that Joseph had to teach the truth that we can become like father as God is, as man is, God once was. And as God is, man may become is a perfect perfect statement. I'll say it again because I blundered it at the beginning. As man is God once was. As God is man may become. That is powerful, powerful doctrine. And in no other quote is there so much power. Because that is the power that Christ drew on his I am right? That gave him power and authority to act for God on the earth. Think about that. Once you take away the notion that God's like, that God's like the wizard of Oz, that he's behind the big curtain, that, you know, that, that he's all powerful and we should be afraid of him. And we actually see that he's just like us he's just way more ascended than we are at this point because he's farther down the path of progression than we are. All the tentaments of religion fall away. All the pretensions that Joseph aforetu mentioned fall away because that is the genuine character of God. What father, what mother doesn't want their children to become like them, right? Or even greater than them, right? I mean, in this world, I hear so many people say, man, my goal in my life was to, to create an opportunity for my children greater than the opportunities that I had. That is a godly value. That is a godly desire. And father and mother have everything. And their glory is added upon, not by controlling and manipulating, but by bringing us to their level, to bring us to be like them. That is the crux of the matter. This is the most important principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the law of the gospel, is that we can become like him. We say that glibly. People stand up. I know that the purpose of my challenges in my life is to become more like God, right? But we, and I'm not mocking people, but like stop for a second and actually own that. Actually break that down. What does that mean, right? 
It means you're learning all the principles of godliness so that you can stand in your I am like Jesus Christ did in this world in order to be like him and to teach with power, to teach with truth, to heal, to bless. Jesus Christ himself didn't exit this planet and say, well, uh, you're welcome. I was the greatest being to ever live. And uh, none of you can even touch what I did. So uh, just try to follow along as best as you can and we'll see how things shake out in the end, right? That's not what he said. He said, greater things will ye do than I have done because I ascend to my father, right? He puts his foot, a, a placeholder in the plan for us to do greater miracles that are going to come than even he did, right? He reserved, he held back a portion of his glory in order why? That the glory of God may be manifest in us. And yet we refuse to be reprogrammed. His entire purpose was God's purpose, Christ's purpose on the earth was to reprogram us and save us from ourselves. And how he did that, the great example, I just watched this the other day. My little girl started this tradition with me a while ago, and, and we don't always watch <coughs> the most accurate um, scriptural videos or Jesus videos, as we call them when she's going to bed. But we do watch, um, we call it our Jesus video time. It was her version of scriptures before she could read. She still can't read that great. And so it still is kind of her scriptures before we go to bed. And the one that she started with when she was probably about four that she absolutely loved and that I have almost memorized is, is the story of Jesus healing the blind man. And I want to break this down really quick to show the character of God, right? To show the character of God. And then we're going to get into some of the deeper doctrines, not mysteries because they were taught by the brethren in the early church, but the deeper doctrines of God. Okay. So... Jesus is walking down the street and he sees a blind man sitting on the side of the road and he approaches the blind man. And I love the LDS version of these videos for the most part, because they are, they stay true to the words that were spoken in scripture and the, and the dialogue back and forth. And so the actual words are the words in the new Testament that Christ is speaking. There's not ad libbing. There's not a narrator telling you how it is. It's literally just watching Christ interact. And he walks up to this blind man and he says, he says, or the apostles say to him, right? That this shows the level of entrenchment that they had in tradition and culturalism in their, in their faith and the things that, that Christ was doing to reprogram them. He walks up to the blind man and he's looking at him. And I believe it's James who asks, who did sin, Lord, this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Christ quickly re responds and says, neither this man nor his parents did sin, but that the glory of God may be manifest in him. And then he goes through the procedure of healing this man. Now, the rest of the story is amazing. Maybe at some point, you know, I can get into it. But the point for me for now is that the character of Christ is to, to deprogram the brethren, the apostles on what they thought, right? Religious culturalism had taught them that if something was wrong with you, you must have done something to displease God, which is not the character of God, right? We have challenges in our lives. I have them every day. I have bouts of frustration, fatigue, you know, anger, whatever. Like I go through the same challenges that everybody else does. 
I think the difference between, you know, where I used to be and where I am now is that I view these things as spiritual because all things are spiritual. The scriptures say that. Okay. So I view them as spiritual opportunities and experiences to, to shift the way that I think, which is the entire purpose of the interaction that, that the, the Lord has there at the beginning of this experience where he's deprogramming the brethren with this belief that if something bad is happening to you, it's because you displeased God, right? When in actuality, something bad happening to him was something that I believe this blind man agreed to pre-mortally, that he helped the Lord design a life plan for him. And that included being blind and that the Christ would come to him in the meridian of time and heal him so that his fame could go throughout the land. And so that the people would begin to turn to Christ. Ironically, while the Sanhedrin is arguing about what to do with this Jesus Christ, it's recorded that they're arguing with themselves. One of them says, speaking of Christ, this man cannot be of God for he keepeth not the Sabbath day, right? And the, and the flip side of that is one of them in the background goes, how can man, how can a, how can a sinner do such miracles, right? Like, the tenements of religion, right, of religion lived to extreme, right, are manifest in this in this experience. And yet the purpose of religion should be, true religion, right, should be to turn the other person to God, to give them an opportunity to commune with God. And when you take the character of God and you take him I don't want to say take him off his throne, but maybe in a historical context, we take Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and we're able to then take them and put them in our shoes, right? And we're able to to, to understand that they got to that ascended place through the process of eons and lives, eternal lives, and multiple probations, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. To, to, to have a piece of roughness knocked off here and there, to pass through experiences over and over that brought them to the place where they have been refined until they are perfect. It's not, they didn't just start that way. Joseph goes on in the, in the quotes below what I just read in the King Follett sermon and says, God didn't just, God hasn't always been God. And there is a actual God family out there of many, many, many gods, right? And that, and that there is a one high God, right? With, with regards to our context, and we call him Heavenly Father. And he has a, a divine spouse, and her name is Heavenly Mother. And they rule and reign in righteousness. And their desire, their character, their purpose is to bring to pass the salvation, right? To save us and the exaltation to eventually make us like them perfectly. That is their purpose. Okay, so back to the King Follett sermon because this is, this is an introduction into something that I want to expand on and bring in some other quotes. The scriptures inform us that Jesus said, as the Father hath power in himself, even so hath the Son power. To do what? Why? What the Father did. The answer is obvious. In, an, in a manner to lay down his life and body and take it up again. Jesus, what are you going to do? To lay down my life as Father did and to take it up again. Do you believe it? If you do not believe it, you do not believe the Bible. 
Because again, this is what Jesus Christ said over and over again, that he came to do that which he'd seen the father do. Joseph taught in this sermon and later that father was crucified, right? Or died for a group of people to whom he was a brother, not a father in his path of ascension. So here we have two layers, two hinge points, right? Joseph teaches first that as we, as we are, God once was, right? As, as we are now, father and mother were once like us. Then in the pattern of the divine masculine, right? Christ, father was a Christ. And then after he was a Christ and saved a group of people, then he became exalted. So, so we have some hinge points, some stopping points. He goes on to, to further expound this this process, this spiritual ladder, the, the lineage and process of becoming like God. The scriptures say it, and I defy all learning and wisdom and all the combined powers of earth and hell together to refute it. That's pretty bold language. He's like, look, this is truth. It's, it's unadulterated, unfiltered, unsanitized, absolute truth that in order to know God, you have to know his character. And then you'll understand that he wants you to become like him. And the pattern is, is that you follow him from a space of mortal celestial through the terrestrial realm and to become like Christ. And in order to stand at the highest level with him and mother in the exalted sphere. Here then is life eternal to know the only wise and true God. And you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests. The same as all the gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another, a small capacity to a greater one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, until you attain the resurrection of the dead and are able to dwell in everlasting burnings and to sit in glory as those who sit enthroned in everlasting power. That to me is as clear as it gets. Here's the thing in the church, right? Even in, in religion in general, we're taught that there not a lot of other churches or religions that I'm aware of teach a pre-mortal experience or that we existed before here. But the reality is, is that, that it does not make sense to me that, that on a, think about it for a second. I'm going to tear apart the LDS construct of religion right now and of the plan of progression and the plan of salvation, which is what all of this is about. This entire sermon by Joseph and Doctrine and Covenants 76 are all about the plan of salvation. And I said this before, I'll say it again. Joseph Smith taught, he said out loud that he could reveal a hundred times more in reference to section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which is the basic outline of the plan of salvation. He could reveal a hundred times more, which would be longer than the entire length of the Doctrine and Covenants. I venture to say he could reveal a hundred times more on the King Follett sermon, but he delivered enough to set the neighborhood in an uproar. I believe that this testimony that he gave, being one of his last that he gave publicly, was one that sealed the deal because he had the audacity to teach that man could become like God. And in fact, it is the character of God to help man 
to to rise through the process of eternal lives to the station where God lives. LDS people, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we get stuck, and this is where pride has an opportunity to slip in. Because you, there is either one of two narratives working here. Either every person you've ever seen on this earth in some way or another is in the process of trying to ascend, right? Even if they chose evil and they failed in this, this round, they'll have, we're told, we'll have an opportunity at least a thousand years of the millennium for people to repent before the final judgment. The problem is, is that in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and even Christians exhibit this behavior often, the belief is that, well, we won the lottery. We won the lottery of the gospel. We must be more loved than other people, and therefore, we have the truth. And uh, if you don't accept it our way, then um, you're probably not going to make it to heaven. When the entire purpose of the church, as we know it, is to do temple work to seal the entire human family together so that we can all make it back to God. So I hereby refute that. I also testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that every person that is on this planet who turns to God and to Christ, either now or in the eventuality, will have an opportunity to continue to ascend until they reach the place where they become like him. The rub here, or the challenge is, is that we've told ourselves a narrative about how somehow we won the lottery here, and then we get to go up to heaven without opposition and play, sit on a cloud and play our harps until somehow magically we're one day end up like heavenly father. I mean, that is kind of the outline without saying it that way. Right. I mean, you stand up and you bear your testimony and people don't stop to think about the guts of what they're saying. They're teaching, they're saying, and they're, they're bearing testimony of true principle when they say, I know that the plan of salvation is that Jesus Christ came to die for us so that we could be saved and return back to Heavenly Father. But even Elder Uchtdorf said it's not very impressive if the whole plan is to bring us back into the presence of Heavenly Father after having left and be clean again, right? The whole purpose of the plan is to help us to become like Him. And so every every opportunity we have to have live in a world of opposition and to learn and to grow is an opportunity to assimilate divine principles, which we already know, which we're already remembering or which we already know and which we're in the process of remembering and to assimilate those in a new set of context, in a new set of, of situations, in new experiences in order to become more like God, to have those rough edges rubbed off. So let's pause for a second. I'm going to speak about this in the context of men or the divine masculine because the form, the formula for men is more clear than that of women as far as steps and stages to becoming more like God. So we're told that, that Jesus Christ did only those things which he'd seen the Father do. So we know God was once like us, the Father was once like us as a man. Then he, at some point in his progression, had to take on another incarnate experience as half God, half man, come down and save a group of people to whom he was a brother. So if we're following the same pattern, then men right out there need to be, be a man, be a lowly station, then become like Christ and be a Christ to a group of people before we can be exalted. So we have at least two mortal experiences. Well, in my mind, it makes reason stare that we have these experiences. We get to come down, somehow win the lottery, get the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we have everything we need oppositionally to become, to, to have our next iteration be as a Christ. That's blasphemy. That is silliness at the highest level. 
You don't get enough experience in one lifetime to come back as a Christ. I promise you that. I defy all the, the you know, the experience of anyone religiously in the Church of Jesus Christ to prove to me where it says that that's the formula. In fact, I will bring you bring to your attention quotes by early apostles who I will be uh, I will be honest. Uh, many of these early brethren I trust more than I trust some of the ones speaking now because we have a dumbed down and watered down version of the gospel that is being taught right now in the church. And these early brethren were being taught by Joseph Smith himself. And again, not all of those early brethren stayed true. Sidney Rigdon and others did punch. It's amazing to me and ironic that Sidney Rigdon was with Joseph Smith when he received section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants, had visions, received the Lord, and pulled away. And Sidney's testimony ended up in the shedding of Hiram and Joseph's blood, which Sidney's going to have to pay for. And I don't know where he ends up on the spectrum of <clears throat> of opportunities, but uh, I, I certainly um, I, I pray for his soul. That's for sure. Okay. Heber C. Kimball, right? So it's silliness in my mind to think you get one rodeo and man, you sure won the lottery. You crushed it, man. You got, you were so, so elect in the world before this one that you got to come down and receive the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which isn't being taught in the church, by the way. And it's not taught in the church. It's taught by the Lord. Um, but you got to receive the gospel, get all the covenants, you know, um, go to the temple once a week, right? Do all these things. And yes, I'm mocking the process because the process is not people. The process is a culture and tradition that needs to be broken. And so, yes, I'm not going to apologize. So we think that somehow we won the lottery and that we get to just, we get to move on, right? That we get, that that's it, that, that we... We, we, we get to pass go and all these other poor schmucks down here that didn't get what we got. Well, you know, it's because they weren't as diligent as I was. And sorry about your bad luck. That doesn't sound like the character of godliness to me. In fact, I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that if that's your attitude, and I've heard that attitude exhibited by mem many members of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, you are what we call damned. And I'm not saying that I'm damning you. I'm saying you're damning yourself, which means you're stopping your progress because your pride is in the way and you can't actually see how things are. And the bottom line for the point that I'm making here is that you don't get a one-off rodeo and then get to come back in the eons ahead as a Christ. You don't come down get one mortal experience, get all the experience you need, all the opposition you need in order to come back as a Christ and build the kingdom and, 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 you know, build your kingdom, I guess you, it takes much, much more experience than that. Here, here is Heber C. Kimball. Joseph always told us that we would have to pass by the sentinels that are placed between us and our Father and God. Then, of course, we are conducted along from this probation to other probations, or from this dispensation to another by those who conducted those dispensations. Probation to probation. If you beckon back to the temple sealing ceremony, it talks in there about being given dominions and powers and um, and it talks in there, uh, principalities, and it talks in there about being given eternal lives, multiple, plural, right? What does that mean, right? What does it mean when Joseph in the King Follett Discourse says things like, from one small degree to another, from a small capacity to a greater one, from grace to grace, exaltation to exaltation, until you attain the resurrection of the dead and are able to dwell in everlasting burnings. That means that we're going to 
have to take on multiple experiences in mortal worlds. I know this flies in the face of what you've taught, been taught traditionally, but we have to take on multiple mortal experiences. And those probations serve as an opportunity for us to then qualify for the resurrection where we live in everlasting burnings, where we've qualified for a celestial glory. All right, more Hebrew C. Kimball. What I do not today, when the sun goes down, I lay down to sleep, which is typical of death. And in the morning, I rise again and commence my work where I left it yesterday. That is typical of the probations we take. That course is typical of the probations we take. Again, multiple probations. This is early apostles. These are men. Hebrew C. Kimball was, was one of the most faithful men to Joseph Smith that ever lived never denied Joseph, never faltered in his testimony of the prophet, always knew how to go to the Lord himself and get these things taught to him by the Lord. All right. More Hebrew C. Kimball. If you do not cultivate within yourselves and cultivate your spirits in the state of existence, it is just as true as there is a God that liveth that you will have to go into another state of existence and bring your spirits into subjection there. Now you may reflect upon it and you will never obtain your resurrected bodies until you bring your spirits into subjection, bring, come into subjection to God and his, the fullness of his laws. I ask then if it is your spirits that must be brought into subjection. It is. And if you do not do that in these bodies, you will have to go into another estate to do it. You, do, you have to train yourselves according to the law of God or you will never obtain your resurrected bodies. Mark it. On 8 June 1899, during talks with Lorenzo Snow, he told me that his sister, the late Eliza R. Snow, was a firm believer in the principle of reincarnation and that she claimed, this is Eliza R. Snow. She's the first General Relief Society president. Second, excuse me. Uh, Emma was the first, I believe. If I'm wrong, mark it. You can tell me. But Eliza R. Snow, General Relief Society president, fully and firmly believed in the law of reincarnation. And that she claimed that she had received it from the prophet Joseph, her husband. He said he saw nothing unreasonable with it. So this is Lorenzo Snow, who was later a prophet. He said he saw nothing unreasonable with it if it came from the Lord and or his oracle. So Lorenzo Snow's like, I don't see anything wrong with that principle, that, that, that teaching that it came from the Lord. And again, we teach it, right? We teach a, a major milestone version of it. We're, we're, we, are, we are as we are now. Eventually men have to take on and become like a Christ, and then they get to become like the Father. So what's in between? We're just filling in the guts. Okay, William W. Phelps said, The secret of this matter is that God, in his infinite wisdom, prepared the children of promise, the heirs of the celestial kingdom, to live twice in the flesh on the earth, once in a state of probation and once in the state of approbation. So I don't think that he meant, and this is just me inserting this, you can take it to the Lord as I studied that quote, basically that there are two different types of of experiences. You can be in a state of probation and then you can also be in a state of approbate. Dying here. A state of approbation means the state of um, <clears throat> of praise. 
Doctrine and Covenants 121, like 25 to 28 or 29, talks about a group of people, the 144,000, who had a foreordination and a preparatory redemption. No, excuse me. Those verses are talking about um, whether there be one God or many gods. Uh, Alma 13, 1 through 3, talks about how a whole group of people, which I, as I've done research, have realized are the 144,000 who've come here in the spirit of approbation, as is talked about by Elder Phelps, that they come down on the earth during this time, during the um, closing, winding up scenes in in power, and and they are here with a preparatory redemption in order to participate in the salvation and exaltation of mankind, and that their essentially their calling and election was made sure by the time they started sucking oxygen because they condescended like Christ. They're not on probation anymore. They're here to fulfill a divine mission. Okay, so Brigham Young is quoted as saying, in like manner, every faithful son of God becomes, as it were, like Adam to raise a race of siblings from his loins. When they are embraced in the covenants and the blessings of the holy priesthood, in the progress of eternal lives, we have not yet received our kingdoms, neither will we until we have finished our work on the earth and passed through the ordeals that are brought up by the power of the resurrection and are crowned with glory and eternal lives. So there you go. You have a prophet who just added another milestone, right? Another major marker. So not only do we have to be like Christ, we have to be a Christ to a group of people. Before we can do that, we also, <clears throat> excuse me, and I don't know what the order is. I, I haven't been taught yet. And if I was taught, maybe I'm not supposed to teach it. Um, but, but we either have to be an Adam before we can be a Christ, or we have to be a Christ before we can be an Adam. But either way, and, and an Eve and a Mary and, you know, like insert the divine feminine here. I was just using the masculine because it's the most detailed version that we have in the scriptures, which is honestly part of the sealed portion of scriptures, which is going to come back, which, you know, <laughs> Satan's done an excellent job of taking out the divine feminine in scripture. And why? Because he doesn't want the fullness available on the earth, because he doesn't want people to stand in true power and build the kingdom the way that the Lord wants it built on the earth. Um, so women have been subservient, wrongly so, for a long time in the church. However, the fullness is that the Lord wants us to become like him. And the way that we do that, the pattern that we do that, is that we have to pass through multiple probations until you reach a place <clears throat> where you are on eternal lives, where that shifts where you go from being veiled and, and in a state of probation to a state of approbation where the fullness of your mission is manifest to you at a certain point in your existence and then you grow and become like the father and mother and all of the other ascended beings who, have, who are part of the God family. Okay, so Joseph said it this way. To inherit the same power and the same glory and the same exaltation until you receive the same station as God and ascend to the throne of eternal power, the same as those who have gone before. What did Jesus do? Why? I do the things I saw my father do when the worlds came rolling into existence. My father worked out his kingdom with fear and trembling, and I must do the same. And when I get, the, get my kingdom, I shall present it to my father so that he 
may obtain kingdom upon kingdom and it will exalt him in glory. So again, there's the principle of, of Christ presenting what he was able to accomplish by following the divine pattern to the father who gains his continual and, and mother, they gain their continual and increasing glory, not by control manipulation and controlling the narrative, inserting themselves between us and and ultimate perfection and saying, well, you're not going to get there, but you can be pretty cool and pretty good, right? No, their, life, their whole work and their glory, what brings them their glory, right? The word work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man or the exaltation of man, right? It's to bring us to their level. That is their purpose. And anyone in your life that's inserting themselves between you and God and saying, well, yes, that's possible someday, but um, for now you just need to be quiet and follow the church leaders, right? And it doesn't matter what your church is, right? If you have human beings inserting themselves between you and God and saying, follow me, I know the way, they're wrong. Because God clearly lined out that he and mother and the Lord and ascended godly beings are who teaches us this truth, who teach us how to commune with them who teach us how to become like them. And that is the purpose of our lives. That is the purpose of being here on this third mud ball from the sun is to grow and become like them. And that is essentially the first half of the King Follett discourse. And the second half is a little bit of a repeat of the beginning. Um, but I will, um, I will, postpone the remainder of it because we're already at an hour and 20 minutes and I will come back to you soon and we will we will talk about this in greater degree but to sum up some of the highlights of this podcast Joseph Smith said he could reveal a hundred times more than the section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants in fact he went on to say that he had and was the only person living he had the fullness of the plan of the kingdom in front of him and no other being had it he said, I have the fullness of the plan of the kingdom in front of me. And why didn't he teach it? Why didn't he reveal a hundred times more section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants? I think for two reasons. One, we aren't ready to receive it. And two, it's only received as a mystery from God directly. So nothing I've discussed today is a mystery by the Lord's definition of what a mystery is in scripture, because it's in scripture. The things that I've quoted and read to you today and the ideas that I've outlined, while I've turned some of them into my own words to, to help bring better clarity to me and you, are all there already fundamentally discussed in pure doctrine undefiled by the prophet Joseph and by others of the early brethren. So this isn't me making things up. This is me bringing out what's already there. This has already been taught. So as you sit back and you go, man, why, how did we get to where we are where we're not teaching these things? It's easy to see. It's easy to see that this guy, this prophet, or this, you know, these leaders didn't like this, this part or that part. And then the people or, and, or most likely the people didn't like what was being taught. And so they asked it to be removed or they rebelled against it until the Lord took it away until we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. And how are we denying the power of thereof? Because we're denying 
to actually know the very character of God. You know, when I hear people in their genuine nature, right, and they're where they are in, you know, on the path, they stand and bear their testimony and they talk about hard things that they're going through. And yet they fail to see the purpose and the, the reason for those things in their lives. It's tragic. The purpose of the challenges that we have in this life are to be purposeful and formative in order to teach us the principles of godliness in order that we can assimilate these experiences that we've had throughout multiple probations and eternal lives to get us to the place where we can stand as co-equal to God because we have experienced everything that mother and father have experienced. Not in the exact same way, right? The father probably didn't learn the process of humility or whatever other godly principle uh, in exactly the same way that I'm learning it. But rest assured, he learned it in perfection. And when my, when my plan gets up there and I'm standing next to him as a co-equal, which in the eternal realm, we are all co-equal right now because that's how he and mother view us. They don't view us as lesser. They view us as on the path. When I get to that place, it'll be great to, and I'm sure we can study the book of mother and father when we get to cross over the veil. It'll be amazing to look at their life experiences and the, the experiences that taught them some principle of godliness and realize that while it wasn't the exact same circumstances, the lessons were the same and the diversity of operations happened. And we can then take those principles and that understanding and step back into our next mission and on and on it goes until we reach the place of perfection like mother and father. That is the character of God, is that mother and father and the Lord and all of the divine beings and the God family want us to have what they have. They want us to have the power of creation to create worlds without end. They want us to gain our glory and exaltation not so that it makes them look better, right? So they can compare, you know, themselves to other gods up there and go, hey, uh, I've got uh, 3,427 gods below me. How many do you have, right? Like that's not why they're doing what they're doing. It's because their joy is in its fullness when someone else ascends to be at the same level as they are. And this joint relationship, this, this bursting through of the veil and this, absolute belongingness that we can have in our I am with mother, father, and the Lord is addicting. And here's just a quick footnote before I close. Brothers and sisters of the earth, I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that the character of God, mother and father, the divine masculine and the divine feminine is to put you on a path and a, and a trajectory to help you to become like them in the fullness of all of their glory. That is their purpose. That is their work and their glory. And when we undertake to work out our own salvation, and then we undertake eternal lives to help other people work out their salvation and exaltation, we are genuinely through the process of time and eons and, you know, line upon line, all the things, you know, from one small measure to another, everything that Joseph listed in that process of ascension, we are becoming like them perfectly. What greater love is there than that? There isn't any greater love. 
when it says in scripture, greater love hath no man than this, that he layeth down his life for his friends, right? Or that she layeth down her life for her friends. Mothers coming to give birth and, and per perpetuate the plan over and over and over again. Fathers coming to sacrifice themselves in one major way for an entire population of people. The diversity of operation is there. The diversity of how it all works is perfectly there. And it's exciting. We get to become like them perfectly through the process of experience. And by coming into these experiences over and over and over again and assimilating what we've already known principally in a completely different set of experiences and context so that we understand more fully what it is like to be them. I'll close with a personal and anecdotal story. This is personal. I didn't think I was going to share this, at least publicly ever, but I will share it. When you begin to commune with God, when you begin to commune with Christ, when you hear his voice at such a personal level that your conversations take place everywhere, and I'm not the only one who said this. I have a couple other friends who, who have had these experiences. One place that I have and, and continue periodically to commune with Christ is in the shower. Um, I think it's ironic that I'm completely in the nude and that I'm at my base in absolute, you know, I'm, I'm in that raw form, right? Um, but one day I was brushing my teeth and as I'm brushing my teeth, I was, I called up the Lord on my, on my bat phone, right? I, on my conversational phone. And I was like, Hey Lord. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I was just thinking about something. Is that what my conversations are like with the Lord? Uh, and he goes, yeah. I go, well, you were once like me, right? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, that means you had like imperfections. And he's like, yep. And then like I could pause the call basically, right? Like I could hang up the conversation or mute him or mute myself so he couldn't hear me. In my mind, I'm like, oh. Well, that means that you had like imperfections and you sinned. <laughs> and I like said that out loud in my mind, like he wasn't still hearing me. And, but I said it thinking in my mind that I had muted the call, even though I hadn't really muted the call. And I hear him say to me, well, we don't talk about my past transgressions because we don't dwell on your current ones. <laughs> and I laughed out loud in the shower and I sprayed toothpaste all over the wall of the shower. That is the character of God. He wants to work with you. He wants you to understand this. He's elated when you connect with him and hear him. And how I hear him may be different than how you hear him. And how Joseph heard him may be different than how you hear him and how I hear him, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that he wants to hear from you. He wants to connect with you. He wants to hear your challenges and he wants you to ask questions and be taught. And I testify to you that if you seek to hear him as the prophet has outlined, you will hear him in ways that move you and heal you in ways you've never been moved and healed before. And as you're healed and as you're moved, you will find so much peace and so much power to transcend the challenges of a telestial and fallen world and step back into your I am and know why you're here, what your purpose is, what your mission is, 
and know how to accomplish it in the moment. And I testify to you that these truths are true and that I know you're here and I'm here for a great work. We're here to prepare the earth for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So get to know him, get to know his character. And honestly, it's just remembering because you know him perfectly. You've known him perfectly for eons and he's known you perfectly for eons. And I testify that these things are true. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm not saying that it's the next podcast. Um, I actually think I have another podcast between now and kind of the King Follett sermon number two. Um, but we will go through some more of the King Follett sermon at later points. Um, the next podcast that I'm feeling uh, the burning desire to to take on is honestly to to point out the irony in doctrine and practice in in my faith and this this is a universal process I think the principles can be applied um, to many religions and faiths but I really feel like it will be it would be a really cool experience to go through these things and have an intellectual and honest conversation uh, and try to extrapolate truth from myth, extrapolate uh, falsehood from true religion, um, extrapolate um, ideologies and philosophies of men versus um, pure, pure doctrine undefiled, and sort of get through, work through the tenements of what are stumbling blocks and why challenges happen so often. So until we meet again, uh, I hope I'm back in about a week or less to record another podcast. It's been an awesome privilege to to interact with all of you. Um, I do have people reaching out to me. Um, I'm going to give you my email address really quick, and then you can email me. Um, you'll know how to get a hold of me. My email address is remnantrising2020 at gmail.com. So it is R-E-M-N-A-N-T. R-I-S-I-N-G 2020 at gmail.com remnantrising2020 at gmail.com and I look forward to interacting some of you have already reached out to me via email um, and we've been we've been talking um, all I gotta say is uh, hurrah for Israel and God be with you till we meet again <laughs>